This is Asha Voices, I'm JD Gray. Picture this, you're on your way home from work, but you need to stop by the pharmacy. You pull out your shopping list, paper towels, a birthday card for grandma, and hearing aids? This could be a reality sooner rather than later. That's because an executive order aimed at promoting competition in the marketplace was signed this past July. And with that, the long-awaited regulations for over-the-counter hearing aids aimed at mild to moderate hearing loss acquired a new due date. We could expect to see these regulations this fall. What those regulations will be and exactly what they mean for audiologists is still an item for speculation. Today on the podcast, we're joined by an expert panel to discuss the implications and possibilities that may arrive on the shelf with these hearing aids. I'm JD Gray, and this is Asha Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Store. Take advantage of our deals during the ASHA Store Fall Sale. Use promo code FALL21, that's F-A-L-L-21, at checkout to save 20% on clothing and gifts, consumer education resources, and select books. Hurry, sale ends on September 30th. Shop now at on.asha.org fall21. In July, President Biden signed an executive order and set a new due date for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to deliver regulations on over-the-counter hearing aids. With years of anticipation mounting, these new regulations will usher in the new technology and possibly increased access to hearing health. Some may see these devices as an opportunity for increased awareness when it comes to hearing health. Others may be skeptical of the impact these devices may have on audiologists' practices and fear the devices will lead people to hearing care that doesn't fit their needs. Here to discuss the ripples we may expect to see from these changes, we have an all-star panel of audiologists today. We're happy to welcome back to the podcast a faculty member at the Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health, Nick Reed, from Mass Eye and Ear, the Director of Clinical Audiology, Megan Reed, is joining us, no relation to Nick, and finally, Director of Audiology and Speech-Language Pathology at University of Miami, Robert Bob Pfeiffer. I mentioned that there's a lot of variation in how people view these regulations, some with concern, others with excitement. I started the conversation with a quick temperature check of the room and to ask the audiologists how they are feeling as they anticipate these regulations. Were they feeling excited or nervous? Bob speaks first. I have a lot of mixed feelings. OTC hearing aids have been compared very often to over-the-counter eyeglasses. When you go to a pharmacy and try over-the-counter glasses, they're primarily for one purpose, and that purpose is reading. Put on a pair, you look at an eye chart or read something, and then you select the strength that's best for you. The hearing aid comparison to eyeglasses kind of falls apart because with eyeglasses, you're adjusting the focal length. And with a hearing aid, you're still pumping sound into an impaired auditory system. So something that can sound really mellow and really good in a controlled environment like pharmacy, if you overgeneralize the anticipated benefit from the hearing aid, like talking to someone in a noisy restaurant, it may disappoint you quite readily because you pick up all the background noise and the result in terms of passing amplified sound to the inner ear, you have a lot of distortion, upward spread of masking. And so it can actually disappoint and put forth poor performance in uncontrolled environments. 
There are those, though, that go in and buy it for a specific purpose who want a little loudness boost to watch TV or to converse with a friend in the home. And those individuals that need just a little boost in loudness, they can be very happy with it. And it suits their needs really quite well. So my concern is that there are so many different directions this can go in simply based upon the expectations and intent of the person who's buying the OTC hearing aid. Some may be pleased in that particular single-purpose environment. Some may be very disappointed in hearing aids in general in an uncontrolled environment. So I'm here you say is for a single use, some people may find this is just what they need, but other people, this may not meet their hearing needs. Megan, how about you? As we're getting ready for these regulations, what's on your mind? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I recognize those concerns. I, I think I think I'm pretty optimistic and, and looking forward to OTC. I, I think there is a, a large need in terms of being able to provide better access and you know, availability and affordability of devices to to individuals who have hearing difficulty. I think there's a lot of factors to consider. I, I do think it's going to shake up our profession as audiologists, but I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I, th- I think we need to be proactive and advocate, advocate for ourselves and advocate for individuals with hearing loss. And we have to do something, and I think this is an opportunity for there to be a change that's been needed for a while, and I think there's a strong opportunity for, for a positive outcome. Nick, I understand you have the public health perspective. We've talked on this podcast before about access and hearing aid use and people optimizing their hearing health. But I just want to ask you before we move on to more questions about access, how are you feeling looking forward? Yeah, I, I'm excited. I mean... But at the same time, I I have to express some caution because we don't actually know what the regulations are. When we talk about OTC hearing aids, we actually have no idea what we're talking about. We're talking about a new classification that, you know, to Megan's point, redefines the delivery care model and not from the singular point of audiologists, but it complements audiologists to a certain extent. You know, instead of having one model, you're either in or you're out we build sort of a pyramid effect where we're addressing different needs uh, at different spots in someone's lifetime, if you will. And and to Bob's point, it may suit very specific needs of very specific individuals. But, but also to that point, because we don't know what the regulations look like, we live in this era where technology has advanced so far that you are essentially you're controlling the device, the output device, and you can connect it to a smartphone such that you can do in situ real ear fittings. You can do uh, audiologic testing with that kind of setup. Uh, that's quite accurate. It's the same as a portable audiometer in that sense because you're controlling both the input and output devices. And so, you know, we can do some pretty cool stuff. And there's nothing that precludes some of these devices from adding, similar to PSAPs have done in the past adding remote microphones to help overcome difficult listening environments. I think I think it becomes a real tool in the back pocket of audiology, actually, to expand access and improve outcomes for individuals across the hearing spectrum. When you were in the podcast before, you had some data that seemed to imply that barriers to hearing aid use went beyond cost. And I'm wondering, do you think that these over-the-counter hearing aids even though they may increase 
accessibility, do you think they could lead to increased hearing aid use? You know, what we talked about before, there's no one, you know, trigger or no lever, essentially, that you can just pull and say, we're going to fix the entire hearing care industry, right? If you make things less expensive and cover them completely under a healthcare system, we know that doesn't work perfectly, right? You can look to the United Kingdom and look at the NHS system, and we know that just reducing cost will not effectively address everyone's hearing needs, right? We won't have suddenly 100% hearing aid uptake. It's a cost issue and also just the ability to get to an audiologist. And then it's also sort of a technology issue in that we've set up a system that the audiologist, for better or for worse, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing too. You know, I'm not insulting our system. The audiologist is a middleman though. And so, you know, they're sort of, we're focusing very inward and very like in depth on the research and the development and what we do. Whereas this actually takes apart that system and it changes that the end user is the actual customer of the tech companies in the OTC world. And that may drive some technologic innovation. And then the other part is that if we're leveraging hearables and OTC and we're changing that marketplace up a bit, perhaps we're reducing stigma. A market shaping strategy like this from a macro standpoint starts to pull at all of those, right? You're increasing tech company competition. You're changing accessibility at a fundamental level from a distribution model of state licensure to something that you could order directly on the internet. And you're changing the end user so that they are very, very oriented to making sure that that, you know, 70 year old, wherever they are in the United States, let's say they order it online you know, whatever their health literacy level is, that they're able to use it, right? The customer has changed. And this, from a high level, hits at all these points. So when we talk about access and things like that, I would always caution and go beyond just, hey, we're making them cheaper, or hey, we're increasing competition. We're doing a lot with something like this. We're introducing an entire new channel. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we talk more about the connection between hearing health and public health. Support for Asha Voices comes from the Asha store. Fall is here, so are the savings. Save 20% on select items through September 30th during the Asha store fall sale. Treat yourself to cute Asha swag, stock up on brochures, booklets, and posters, and expand your library with our new books. Use promo code FALL21, F-A-L-L-2-1, at checkout. Learn more at on.asha.org fall21. One of the things that we're talking about today is what happens to the role of the audiologist when over-the-counter hearing aids hit the market. Our guest Nick Reed told The Hearing Review in October of 2020, quote, I personally believe there will always be a role for the audiologist to add a human touch to fittings, programming, counseling, and to offer guidance for patients who don't succeed with self-fitting, end quote. This reminded me of something I read in the Asha Leader magazine. This article is from 2019, but I think the point still stands. The article is written by co-owners of Audiology Island, a private practice in Staten Island. They were talking about the possibility that a patient might misuse a hearing device. To address these issues, they said, quote, Our practice provides focused patient research. We hold educational workshops on proper use, care, and support of PSAPs at friendship clubs, AARP meetings, places of worship, and local health fairs. We believe this type of investment in patient education will provide a beneficiary strategy for audiologists in the new OTC landscape." End quote. 
I asked our guests if they anticipate more audiologists going into the community and thinking about their business with this type of strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to Bob's point, you know, when a patient doesn't find satisfaction from these OTC devices, maybe it doesn't address their needs. How do we communicate effectively to pay, to individuals, consumers, you know, perhaps an audiologist can help you or address the issues where that device alone could not. I think that there is going to have to be a level of outreach that does thoroughly communicate that there is this profession and going to their point about looking for opportunities to offer these PSAPs or OTC as they're available to patients and and audiologists can even, when we do see patients in the clinic, consider those as options for patients. I, I think we're going to just have to step outside of our box a little bit and, yeah, maybe engage the community, provide more education. I love that. I couldn't say it better. Megan's absolutely right that audiologists, I think, do have to change a little bit of the way that they, for example, advertise themselves and and get out there and make sure people are aware of their actual expertise. And what I love about that is that I actually think the OTC conversation has already started this conversation. Like all, if you go all the way back to 2016, as we were gearing up for this bill that passed in 2017, and you think about the changes that have happened since then, we're talking about in Congress right now, hearing care under Medicare that doesn't even talk specifically about hearing aids. It talks about covering audiology services across the spectrum. So even someone with an OTC in theory could go to an audiologist and have the services they need to maximize the benefit of that OTC device. That's a fundamental drastic change. And I think it's very much driven by, at a macro level, OTC. We have separated the audiologist from the device because to our own detriment as a field for years, when you do things like bundle, you mask your services within the cost of that device and people don't necessarily realize how valuable you are. When you separate them and you start talking about this as a medical device, quite literally a medical device commodity, and my services as an audiologist on the other end of the spectrum, I think that's a good thing for our field. I think it demonstrates our expertise. And I know people hate these kind of analogies, but it's not necessarily wrong to think about it in terms of cars, right? Car salesmen in the modern era where things like Carvana and CarMax are dominating car sales, (laughs) they don't play as strong of a role. Mechanics will always play a role. They are necessary. I'm not saying that audiologists are just mechanics. They go way beyond that. But the analogy sort of stands that you need somebody to make sure you maximize the benefit of your car and maintain it and make sure you know how to use it. Am I wrong to think, too, this can change how someone's introduced to a hearing aid, where before a hearing aid would be fitted, someone would come in, have a consultation. But now I would think that if a family member noticed some mild hearing loss in a relative, and maybe it's the holidays, and they might gift them uh, over-the-counter hearing aid that could be an introduction to the subject. Is this on the table? I think that's partly on the table. I have hearing loss myself. Uh, some of it's from noise exposure from military duty. Some of it is from medical treatment for severe infections I've had in my legs where I received ototoxic medications. And the self-perception of hearing loss can fool you. 
I have enough experience with that now to confess, yes, it'll fool you, thinking you're not as bad off as you are. One of the telltale signs is they start saying, what, 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 a lot. And even at that, they think the hearing loss is milder than what it really is. So I wear hearing aids now, and I just switched out hearing aids because my hearing perception is getting worse over time. It's really difficult to self-perceive how much hearing loss you have, at least in my experience. And I've been at this as an audiologist for uh, 45 years now. As I look at this, uh, I have a lot more empathy for those who do have hearing problems and need assistance in a new way above and beyond just fitting the hearing aid. I can see this bringing audiology back to its roots, which was rehabilitating auditory problems, or in the case of children, habilitating auditory problems. But one of the key roles of an audiologist historically that we've kind of lost in the whole hearing aid dispensing model is teaching people how to maximize residual hearing, what to look for in a difficult listening situation, how to manipulate your environment to make listening easier, with or without a hearing aid. And that is not emphasized very much in many training programs today, the way it used to be. A lot of the auditory rehab topic matter really focuses on programming hearing aids, the physiology of the cochlea, things like that. And that's a good thing. But that's really only part of the picture because the other part is teaching the person how to maximize use of that residual hearing. They need to be coached. They need to be mentored in some ways very often in order to have expectations that are much more realistic that they can expect and then their experiences start matching their expectations and when the two agree expectations and experience then your satisfaction rate with that assistance goes up much higher than if there's a mismatch between the two so in a way i see otcs uh, having an influence on how audiology practices above and beyond other potential benefits for the individual and at the same time changing the way of thought, changing some of the education patterns for audiologists. JD, I was just going to add going to your point of the individual whose family introduces the hearing aid to them as a gift. We see similar things happening already with hearing assistive technology, um, devices to help with listening to television, devices to help amplify the telephone, things like that. You know, families find out about them and gift them to their parents who they're having difficulty communicating or turn the television up too loud. And, you know, we do then see them come into the clinic when that alone is not meeting the needs and and they're looking for something further to help. So, you know, I, I think I could imagine OTC is going to work in a very similar path of to the elderly patient, you know, likely where the family introduces it as an option and then they may or may not be looking for more. Um, to Bob's point, we need to address the communication needs of that individual, not just here is this hearing aid, because we all know that hearing aids, hearing aids alone are not going to always resolve all the communication issues a patient has. And we as a profession need to be exploring all options to help basically optimize a patient's or individual's ability to communicate and 
address their specific situations where they're having communication difficulties. This conversation reminded me of a recent article in the September issue of the ASHA Leader magazine. It's by ASHA's own Chief Staff Officer for Audiology, Donna Fisher-Smiley. She writes that over-the-counter hearing aids provide opportunities for audiologists to demonstrate their value. Among the opportunities, Donna mentions better informing the public on hearing loss and looking anew at audiologists' relationship to amplification services. Also in that article, Donna addresses a misconception that may have resulted from the recent executive order. This is that audiologists are inflating prices. Donna says, quote, as audiologists, we have the opportunity to distinguish between the costs for the device and the cost of the services that we provide, end quote. You can read the full article at leader.pubs.asha.org. I was going to ask, Nick, you have the public health perspective, and I know that you've been doing research into the intersection of hearing loss and dementia and other public health areas. I'm wondering, with respect to over-the-counter hearing aids and the potential for increased accessibility, do you think this could lead to other possible unexpected health benefits? Like, is this bigger than hearing health? Oh, yeah, that's a great point. When it comes to the other expected benefits, I, I personally think absolutely, and I think it happens on two levels. One, I don't think we can discount the companies getting involved in OTC and the way that they're going to market and start to discuss hearing care and the opportunities that presents for us from an education standpoint. And I'm not talking about using scare tactics necessarily or something like that, which occur already. I'm talking about just thinking about hearing in a larger concept of across the life course and across different quality of life metrics and healthcare metrics where we have made strong associations with hearing. And once we have the right data, being able to say, yes, if you address hearing loss, you may prevent cognitive decline. I think that on the advertising side, that happens. And then I think on the health side, you know, I the data is not borne out. We don't know for sure the counterfactual of just because we know hearing loss is associated with dementia does not mean if we treat hearing loss, we will prevent dementia. But I sort of believe in my heart of hearts when you think about the mediating pathways between these things like social isolation and cognitive load and thinking about actual physical structures to the brain from a lack of sensory input. When you introduce OTC to the market and you have this device sitting out there that may push a large segment of the population to start doing something about their hearing loss earlier, I can't help but think that's a good thing. When you introduce that entry point that is low risk, but potentially high reward down the road because we may be cutting that eight-year mark we say that people wait after noticing their hearing loss before doing something, we may cut that on average to four years. And that's huge. Because if all the theories out there around how hearing loss is related to these big picture healthy aging outcomes are true, then earlier intervention is going to prevent later healthcare problems. And we can't even oversell that because at a population level, we're talking about things like improving quality of life for millions, preventing a large percentage of cognitive decline, we're talking about saving millions and millions and billions even in healthcare spending. It's it's a huge thing. And like I said, you can't overstate it. It's it's sort of an amazing thing to actually think about what it could do for just the overall health of older adults in the United States. There is a thought I would like to add to what Nick just said. That is, we've touched upon the idea that OTCs may change how audiologists practice. It may also change 
how audiologists get paid. Especially if this MASA bill passes that recognizes audiologists for the entire scope of practice service. Because there is a trend in healthcare right now to move away from paying for each individual procedure to start recognizing payment based upon outcomes. And there have been several steps taken toward that end that Medicare has initiated. But the general principle has not been reached yet in terms of what is truly a good outcome for a patient encounter. It's kind of moving in the direction of answering the question, what can the patient do after having met you that the patient could not do before meeting you? Did you have an impact that's positive on their quality of life? Did you have a positive impact on their level of function? And so with these questions in mind and looking at where reimbursement is going, you know, OTCs have the potential to have a very dramatic change in how audiologists are paid for their services. And that in turn is going to influence how they practice because we practice according to how we're paid. And that's the bottom line. And so once we start looking at quality of life, the benefit that the patient experiences as a result of our direct services, then I think we will be getting closer to where audiology should be with regard to a profession that really helps individuals in their communication needs. Megan, you're at a large healthcare provider, Mass Ioneer. What do you think of what Bob's saying? I agree. I think, you know, as a healthcare facility, a large healthcare facility, there's a lot of patients coming in and out. And so we have to still be able to focus on every individual patient and at the same time, you know, support the large staff that we have. You know, we have over 50 audiologists on staff. And and I agree. I think as a healthcare facility, if we don't get paid for our services, then that impacts the services that we can provide. So I, I think it's it can hopefully really change it for the good. Nick had said this before, and I echo this, that with a bundled model with hearing aids, we really limit ourselves on moving forward in the future. And I think audiologists across locations, whether they're in a large facility or not, can really help continue to move our profession, go back to, you know, our roots of, like Bob said, of what we should be providing and what we should be doing as audiologists and really separate out those costs and do that now so that when insurances are more likely to cover those services, we're prepared and we're, we're ready for it. And we can have a much smoother and easier transition for us and our patients alike. Bob, Megan, Nick, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. It's been great to be here. In two weeks, we'll have a new episode of the podcast featuring speakers from this year's Research Symposium on Hearing, a part of the 2021 ASHA Convention. Our guests look at connections between hearing loss and cognitive issues like dementia and depression. On the episode, you'll hear from Esther O, the co-director of the Johns Hopkins Memory and Alzheimer's Treatment Center, and Brett Rutherford, psychiatrist and researcher at Columbia University. And both speakers were selected by one of today's guests, Nick Reed. I find their work to be this wonderful example of how we can all sort of work together and instead of working in silos within our fields, 
we can go much, much further together. And they are the epitome of that kind of work. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA store. Don't let the savings pass you by. Save 20% through September 30th on select items during the ASHA store fall sale. Make sure to use promo code FALL21, F-A-L-L-2-1, at checkout to get the discount. Shop now at on.asha.org fall21. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence, I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.